This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Justin Warzonek. That's just too awesome a name to make fun of. So I'm going to make fun of the fact that his first name is Justin. Like uh, Justin Timberlake and the guy who plays the Mac in those commercials. And by the way, have you ever wondered if you watch those Mac commercials and you realize that Mac is such a schmuck and you might go out and buy a PC just to anger people and also because, you know, that other guy is really cool? I don't know. But anyway, Justin, this one goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the 70s are back, Jive Turkey and Nomad is here to cloud your moon ring now. Can you dig it? Well, can you? Because if you can, now you know. And knowing is purportedly roughly 50% of any given conflict. Plus, Ash Williams shines, Hal Jordan fizzles, and Rodrigo's hero has pink eyes. Am I in my cabin dreaming, or are you really scheming to take my podcast away from me? (gasps) You better think about it. I just can't live without it. So please don't take my show from me. 57-minute guitar solo. I think Jack Palance said it best when he said, The Major Spoilers podcast is on. Yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you could join us Yay! this week. Hello, future. Wait, no, that's not right. And hello, everybody who's listening to all of our special podcasts this week as part of the Major Spoilers fifth anniversary celebration. Woohoo! Number five, number five, number five. Woohoo! Right, Rodrigo? Woo! Yeah. Woo! I could have sworn that the fifth anniversary of Major Spoilers was in October. Mm, no, Matthew, you're wrong. Okay. Always July. July 3rd, 2006 was when the site launched. Oh, wait. October is when I, when I joined, which means it's the fifth anniversary of the really good parts of Major Spoilers. Now, now, Matthew. <laughs> every part of Major Spoilers is awesome. This is true. Even the stuff and, that features uh, Rodrigo. And while, <laughs> while I occasionally will no-sell, it should be noted that Major Spoilers would not be what it is without the contributions of everyone. Steven, Rodrigo... Uh, Rob, that other guy who rolls all the ones and the people who write for us and the people who listen to us and all of the faithful spoilerites out there. Yes, like indeed. indeed, indeed, indeed. So let us get to some news. A couple of uh, items this week. Actually, a lot of items this week. Transformers 3 has come out. A lot of people have noticed that there are similarities between it and Michael Bay's other movie. The Island. Uh, Adriana Palicki <laughs> joins... The Parts, the Clonus Horror. Adriana Palicki joins uh, the G.I. Joe sequel. The Thor is also getting a sequel. <laughs> Notice Thor. it is the Thor, the Thor is also yes. getting a sequel. The Thor is and getting a sequel. <laughs> everyone cannot wait until July 29th when Thundercats arrive on the Cartoon Network. Let's spin Thunder, that wheel of Thunder. destiny and see where we land this week. And there it lands on number two. Adrienne Palicki joins the G.I. Joe sequel. Now, she may not be Wonder Woman, but she will be Lady J in the upcoming G.I. Joe sequel, G.I. Joe Cobra Strikes. Cobra Strike. Now, Lady J will also be joining, or I'm sorry, Palicki will also be joining Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Whoa. 
who was recently signed on to play Roadblock. Which and is they are pretty spectacular casting. They are also looking for a new Joe Colton, maybe in the form of Bruce Willis. That's the hot rumor. We'll find out hopefully this week. And the reason why I say this week is because because Star Trek, because the production of that is so delayed, it's not going to make its uh, scheduled window for next year. Mm-hmm. So Paramount is actively finding actors, forcing this thing into production so it can be into theaters next summer. Mm-hmm. Now, Rodrigo, I know you sat down and watched the first G.I. Joe movie. I actually haven't. What? I haven't seen it. Rod- Matthew, did you see the first G.I. Joe movie? I did. Oh, you did? Okay. And I, I mean, we actually mean the actual movie, not just the trailers. No. Because we know that you're fond of watching the trailers. There is, in fact, a new channel, which has been added to my cable lineup for free, called Epics. And among the things that I have seen in the last couple of months for free were uh, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, uh, the 2009 Star Trek, and other things that you guys saw two or three years ago. Ah. So who's excited about G.I. Joe, Cobra Strikes, then? I no, I'm not. <laughs> I think it's. I might I, be excited about Dwayne Johnson, right? I might be excited about that woman who played the Baroness because, damn, I forget who but she was. Let's go look over at the IMDb. I, was it? It wasn't Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller was like Scarlet, I think. But the woman who played the Baroness was completely miscast. The character was poorly written. It bore no resemblance to the character that we've known as the Baroness since 1982. It was literally in name only the Baroness. Yeah. But oh my God, she rocked that little leather outfit. Sienna, Sienna Miller. It was Sienna Miller? Okay. Yep. So yeah, that was the thing about it. I mean, when I watched that movie, I felt like these people had a really good idea of what they thought G.I. Joe should look like. Ray Park is expected to return to the role as uh, Snake Eyes. And when I heard that they wanted to have Snake Eyes talk as a one-off joke and they thought it would be funny, I like they have no idea what this is. This is literally, we're going to make a summer blockbuster and we're going to stick the G.I. Joe name on it. Mm-hmm. You know, there were certain things that I can actually, I can deal with the fact that for an international audience, G.I. Joe is now an international strike force. Perfect. Fine. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. I can deal with that, that it's not, you know, an army strike force any longer. Fine. I'm good with that. But there were some real problems that I had with uh, Destro and his arc with the reveal of the character played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt mm-hmm. with the fact that Duke and Ripcord, who were basically our point of view characters. Right bore no resemblance to the characters known as Duke and Ripcord. And the fact that, okay, here's the thing about G.I. Joe. They actually came from little plastic action figures, right? Mm-hmm. So you had little limited ways to tell them apart. One of the ways you could tell them apart was who had a funny hat. Flint wore a beret. This was his defining characteristic, and I am not kidding. Flint wore a beret. So what did they do when they made this movie? They put a beret on Hawk. <gasps> Yeah, these are, I mean, these are little things that shouldn't matter, but when you're, when you're looking at a, you know, when you're looking at the existence of, first of all, a franchise with hundreds of thousands of characters, there are literally three or four hundred G.I. Joes. Why, in the name of, of anyone, would you take a character 
change it into an already existing character of that franchise, but keep the original name. That's like making a Justice League movie, but deciding that Batman should be invulnerable and fly. And since he has that ring that does little flashes of light, you're going to call Hal Jordan the Flash. And then the guy who runs, you're going to call Aquaman because he can run on water. So, no, I'm not looking forward to G.I. Joe Cobra Strikes, but holy moly, Sienna Miller looked good. Rodrigo, any thoughts on, on any of this news? I think it it it's interesting that now that The Rock is tied to this mm-hmm. to this movie, it's almost like people are like interested in this. Yeah, all of a sudden people are interested. It's you know, there was there was really nothing like I think everybody knew. Everybody who liked G.I. Joe knew that the G.I. Joe movie was going to be nothing like G.I. Joe. Right. From the beginning. I mean, you I mean, just there saw a, the, the... There was the, a Wayne's the, brother involved. Yeah, Wayne's brother in a battle suit jumping around. Right, and right. Flipping Mo- and tumbling. Doing some, and, doing some jumping. Some fancy jumping around a city. And some kind of acid that melts the uh, yeah, Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower melts. Yeah. Which, you know, that could be G.I. Joe-ish, because Cobra did have some ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> ideas. But it it was cool, you know. Right. The, it was it was a GI Joe thing. I, I think part of the problem with the original GI Joe movie, it's kind of a GI Joe movie. Like if like I had written it <laughs> with like the three episodes of GI yeah, Joe that, that I remember, yeah, 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 exactly. And one of them was a dinosaur episode, so of course that would <laughs> factor prominently. It was like, and then I would be like, I, I don't remember if this was an episode of GI Joe or Silverhawks. Oh well, we'll just <laughs> put it in there. Yeah, and we'll see throw it in and see what happens. No one's gonna care. I just want to know if uh, during the original movie, since I didn't see it, if uh, when the planes exploded, if uh, people actually died or if there were little parachutes <laughs> opening. Parachutes. Boop, 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 boop. Um, That's how not a GI Joe at all it was. There weren't <laughs> even any planes exploding. What? Outrageous. You know, the thing that concerns me more is you're looking at a next summer release. So you are going to presumably the script is written, mm-hmm. but you're going to presumably have, you're going to finish with your actors. Mm-hmm. You're going to shoot this thing, which yeah, three months. You know, three months of shooting. Nothing says about pre production, so we don't know if you know. Let's say three months of pre production, three months for shooting, and then three months for post production, if they can squeeze that out. Plus all the promotion that has to go onto it. They're going to be lucky if they can squeeze this in well, by this time next year. That's the thing I that concerns me the most. The oh, no, that's the I, thing that concerns me. I mean, already it's going to be a bad movie, but I mean. If, if you saw the first movie, it's clear that they're going to use the first take of everything. So you're good with that. Because obviously they use the first take in the first movie. Like, you just so call me Hank? Of, My character's name is Duke. Well, you're Hank now. Uh, well, you're Hank. Hank? From here on out, Hank you're Hank. He's like, yeah, but this scene happens halfway through the movie. That's how movies are shot. Oh, too bad. One take, Tony. The, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Same take. Same take. Same take. And action. G.I. <laughs> uh, Joe I was cut strikes. out of the sound of music, you know. <laughs> Cobra Strikes supposedly is going to arrive in August of 2012. August 10th is its release date. They are, they are going to do a breakneck... Uh, shooting schedule post production is gonna be ho- like 
editors are literally going to maybe die. They're gonna, maybe they're, what they're going to do is do what Michael Bay did, and 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 they're going to lift special effects from the first movie and put them in the new movie well, with just a little something I, layer I, on top. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I'm sure that right now, as soon as even probably before they announced this, they already had production companies coming up with oh, awesome sure. things that will be written into the movie. Oh yeah, right like, around the, the special yeah. effects may already be ready yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they're just going to be strung together like you know i mean literally like no, a michael no. bay movie yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know that because that's what transformers 3 was <laughs> apparently it's just like awesome scenario explosions things falling apart people okay. talking more monsters while we're on that can i ask a question steven sure you and i are old school audio dudes we we came out of the radio department at Fort Hay state university yes when I say two words to you, I want you to tell me cool or not cool. Are you ready? Okay. Wilhelm scream. Oh, very cool. So why is reusing that audio effect cool, but reusing like literally five seconds of flippy car video a bad it's, cool? The the use of the Wilhelm scream is cool because it's that little homage because nod it came to what from the George Lucas. No, 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 no. Wilhelm scream has been around a lot longer than George I'm Lucas aware. recycling in that. It's cool because it's that little that little nod to that one moment in cinematic history. Going back and reusing the same effect or the same shot, the exact same shot that was in one movie again in another movie when it's not stock footage seems kind of hacky as a way to cut a corner. And I can understand if you're cutting corners because you have uh, budget deadlines or because maybe your 3D doesn't work or because someone's trying to slip something in. But when you're when you hear that this is a big production movie costing three hundred million plus dollars, you kind of don't expect to see something that you saw in the island. Uh, presuming that you saw the island appear in no, that in that movie. Was that with Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. Yes, we all I saw I, Scarlett Johansson. Yes, I fast forwarded through the so uh, GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra production budget for it was one hundred and seventy five million. In the United States, that movie brought in 150 million domestic. That's pretty good. Worldwide, it brought in, so it didn't even make its its production value back or its production budget back in the U S. In the U S. Yeah. But when you factor in that it made 152 million worldwide uh, in the foreign box office, 302 million dollars for this movie, it's almost a no brainer that once you make your budget plus 10 percent, that you're going to get a sequel on these things. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like to me yeah. these days. So. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I'm glad that people. I'm glad people are excited that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is in there. But you might want to remember that the last movie he did featured him in a tutu as a tooth fairy. I thought he actually, did Witch Mountain after. Oh, actually, it was Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious, Furious Five. Five or whatever it was. So, okay. Yeah, that was the one where he fought the snake and the panda and the tiger <laughs> and uh, the the cricket. Speaking of uh, tigers and pandas, uh, Thundercats arrives July 29th. Be sure to check out your uh, local listings for the showtimes on the Cartoon Network, and you can panda? check out all of these. I don't know what they're doing in this. There new was series. there was a panda and Thundercats. There you go. <laughs> July 29th, check your local listings, and you can find these and many more stories over at Majorspoilers.com. In fact, you can go over there and you can find bonus episodes that we have posted for your pleasure in the Major Spoilers podcast. The theme of these bonus episodes is Top 5. We did our Top 5 favorite video games. We've done our Top 5 favorite movies of the 80s. And in the coming days, you can find out other fascinating Top 5 things that sprang to our mind over this holiday break. 
Oh, also, for those of you that listen to this show and also listen to Critical Hit, because there's actually more of you, a greater percentage of that, what is that, the Venn diagram uh-huh. of the uh, people who would listen to major spoilers and listen to Critical Hit. Yes, Critical Hit ha- is back on its re- regular Saturday schedule, so you can yeah. uh, check your, your Majorspoilers.com website for, uh, for updates. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. And once again, we thank everyone who's been a become a donor to the Major Spoilers uh, experience. Two, five, and ten dollars a month recurring really helps us out in the long run. And of course, if you donate ten dollars or more, you do get that shout out at the top of the uh, top of the show. Shout out! Shout out! Shout out the devil! Okay, let's talk about some books that we have uh, taken a look at this past week. Let's go back a week in time. Back a week in time. To the month of June. June Dynamite Entertainment released the second installment of the Danger Girl. What is it? The Danger Girl uh, Army of Darkness crossover experience issue number two. Danger Girl and the Army of Darkness number two written by Andy Hartnell. Art by Chris Bolson. J. Scott Campbell did the uh, cover for mine. Ooh, look at them. Uh, Last last issue, I complained that there was hardly any ash. This issue answers that with plenty of ash action, except it feels like a big rehash of everything that we've seen before. To the point where the the opening dialogue from uh, Army of Darkness is actually appears for about a page and a half in the book. Uh, shop smart. Shop S smart. Uh, so Ash is having a bad time. Suddenly, every time he turns around and looks at somebody, they look like deadites. A deadite, and so he punches them square in their face with his giant iron fist, only to find out that he's imagining all of this. Something's going wacky. Something has gone wrong with the Necronomicon, and it's messing with his head. They are after him. Oh my gosh! There's actually a very funny moment when. Uh, he goes into a mall and he's like, I know this is all just a just imagination, illusion. I'll just take a look. And he turns around and then the next scene is a cop saying, put your hands in the air and get on the ground. And he's and all the people that were around him were all knocked out on the ground. He's like, no, officer, you're going to thank me later. And uh, the guy tasers him right in the forehead. And he takes his big iron fist and turns it back on the, the mall cop. And then as soon as he's done with that, he's like, okay, now I need to get out of here. And then all of a sudden he turns around and there's like 50 police officers all aiming stun guns at him. Uh, so that's a, that's a little humorous. Uh, we find out more that, uh, that the uh, evil dictator uh, is uh, trying to find Abby Chase and the Necronomicon. Uh, but, Abby uh, Chase. Abby Chase, the danger girl, she's busy trying to locate Ash. And fortunately, by the time we uh, hit the end of the issue... They have discovered that he's been arrested and is down in police custody, and they're going to go and take care of him. Um, pretty straightforward. Actually, a very average story. Not, not a lot happens here. Mm-hmm. It's really a lot of non-action. 
Uh, we do see uh, Abby Chase in her uh, Danger Girl bikini. Nice. And we do get to see what was the uh, girl in the uh, with the bullwhip? What was her name? A uh, bullwhip girl. Bullwhip girl. We I, I believe the Danger Girl team was Danger Girl, Bullwhip Girl, and uh, Nerdy Girl. Russian Girl and, and Nerdy Girl. The Russian Girl actually. Well, Russian Girl bad. was a turncoat. Yeah. Russian Girl was uh, Natalia something. I think yeah. it was Sydney Savage. Okay, that it must was, uh, be. That Molotov Cogtees. <laughs> art, uh, art in the book is okay. Uh, again, the likeness of Ash is only a very passing resemblance. Um just yeah it's just okay the art is is okay and again a lot of it if you've seen the evil dead movies or especially army of darkness you're going to recognize a lot of the images for about two and a half pages in this book um story is just mediocre because it just doesn't move forward like i want it to in a book that is i think a four issue limited i think it's four issues i don't see that here um it's either four or six so Art is okay, story is okay, mediocre. I'm going to give it uh, three slices of meatloaf out of five. It would have been better if they would have actually had some actual meetup action and some actual real deadite action going on instead of these uh, illusions that Ash is going through. Um, I think they spent too much time trying to catch readers up on who Ash was and what the whole Army of Darkness saga is. I think most, I would bet, how many, how many, what would, what would be the number of, percentage rodrigo of people do you think have heard of or seen or know of the evil dead army of darkness no it's it's gonna be a tiny tiny fraction of your population but a significantly larger fraction of your comic book reading population what? and definitely 100 yeah. of the people who will pick this up yes 100 percent because people will pick this up because you know danger girl <laughs> versus army of darkness is kind of like I don't know. Nerdgasm on nerdgasm. Well, it, it's it's like uh, chocolate and the peanut butter. I don't know. It's it's kind of like Thunder Thundercats versus Silverhawks, right? right I right, mean, right, it's right. like Alias meets the X Files, right? Yeah. It's it's like it's something, but but that's the thing is that Alias and the X Files were like major things in pop culture. Right. Army of Darkness continues to be a cult classic, right? But it's still not all that well known. I mean, you're talking about something. That yeah, only but, the fans know about. Yeah, but I, as far as comic book readers, what percentage? Not just 100% of the people who pick this up. Hmm. 65% of comic book readers are I was gonna at say, least passing familiar with Ash because he's had an ongoing series and crossed over with everybody. I was going to say 90%. Including Barack Obama. Yeah, I was going to say no, 90% of the 90. comic book readers. Certainly not 90. 65. Because a good 30% of comic readers don't read anything but Green Lantern or Wolverine. Hmm, Okay. Well, but there was that time that Army of Darkness met the Marvel Zombies. And I think yeah, that featured Wolverine, Wolverine in it. Oh, he wasn't? Okay. Well, three slices of meatloaf. Um, tad dry. The numbers are starting to fall on that one. If uh, issue number three doesn't pick up, that, that meatloaf is going to get real crusty and, and fall into the waste bin very, very quickly. I'm pretty sure it's Gross. a six-issue mini, by the way. Okay. Also coming out last week, this big event going on over at DC Comics, Flashpoint. Flashpoint! Uh, Apparently, uh, Hal Jordan got his own Flashpoint issue, and uh, apparently there's some Flash fact that he never got the ring. Well, here's my problem. They started up this whole Flashpoint thing going, ha-ha, everything you know is wrong, ha-ha, and look, Ivan Sewer is still Green Lantern, ha-ha! And also, in the middle of it, there's a three-issue limited series starring Hal Jordan. And I said to myself, well, I'm kind of interested in this Flashpoint. I'm going to be buying this Flashpoint. 
should I check out some of these things? And so this week I read Flashpoint Hal Jordan, number one of three. Okay. A DC comic in the world of Flashpoint. If you're familiar with the world of Flashpoint, apparently somehow Barry Allen no longer has powers. And that changes everything because Barry Allen is the center of the DC universe. Neener, neener, I'm Jeff Johns, and I said so. So this issue starts with Hal Jordan flying around in a ship and flashes back to when he was a kid and talks about how he lost his dad in a tragic plane accident. Or as I call it, the first time I read it, the first six issues of Jeff Johns' issue of Green Lantern. And... I then think that was also in Emerald forward. Dawn, too. So, Yeah, I think so. No, it was Red Dawn. That's what it was. <laughs> Wolverines! But There's your we tie We see folks. that young Hal and young Carol grew up together, which I hate. Um, don't even get me started about the, you know, the inclusion of the loss of a parent as the, the Disney version of an origin, giving us an explanation for why he acts the way he does. You know, it, a really simplistic Freudian problem, but that's not a problem with this story because let's be honest here, that's not part of this story. It takes up half this issue. Really? It is not part of this story and it is not this writer's story to begin with. So we get a recap, literally an eight page recap of the origin of Hal Jordan up to the point where he would have become Green Lantern. The and then he starts Jordan. becoming his mom and dad got it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he starts becoming, you know, the Hal Jordan that we know, but because he doesn't get the green lantern ring, he loses his job and he starts drinking and he basically becomes a loser jerk wad. Oh, and by the way, uh, this is flashpoint. So Aquaman and wonder woman are at war. Now I don't understand one thing about flashpoint. And if I've missed this somewhere, feel free to post it in the comments of this episode. Why is it that if wonder woman is at war with Aquaman, the Atlanteans and the Amazons are at war with one another, right? Right. Why, why are the humans getting decimated? How are, how are the humans even involved in a war between the Atlanteans and the Amazons? Because I want to know why there's I, a, a, a subway Affleck race car right in the middle of my issue. I don't Here's, know either. You don't even want to know. Here's here's why. This doesn't make any sense. At the beginning of the Atlantean versus Themyscirian conflict, right? The uh, mm-hmm. they they were like, okay, no more fighting. We're gonna put up a wall between our two fictional areas, and they were like, oh no, we have to keep fighting. So even though Atlantis and Themyscira are really pretty close together, I, I mean, they would be, right? Yeah, sure. They have to fight in the. They have to go around the world to fight. <laughs> they can't just cross over to each other because there's a all the way around. Yeah, the they side. have to go all the way around. So it's carnage from, uh, you know, on the on the Themyscira side, from you know Portugal all the way to Japan, and then on the Atlantean side, basically from uh, New York yeah. all the way to uh, Nagano. It's just like fighty fighty. Yep. Well, and that that fighty-fighty brings up a couple of interesting things, because that fighty-fighty means that Hal Jordan is working for the government, and he's gone to war, and he's in the Air Force. And with him in the Air Force is Carol Ferris. Now, three things wrong with this. One, I love Carol Ferris as, as a hotshot fighter pilot and Hal's equal. But in this issue, she has A, a pink helmet, B, an obvious crush on Hal, and her character is all about Hal and what Hal does and who Hal is. And C, they've ripped off the entire plot line of Top Gun. Mm-hmm. 
No, to the you point know what? where he he flies upside down over her, just like Maverick did that one time when he was trying to scare the Russian. And uh, this, you I, know what, mm. Matthew, you have not seen the Green Lantern movie. Don't care, yes, but it is. But very save for uh, save for Killer Shark or King Shark or whoever this is. Save mm-hmm. save for that m- moment. This, as I flip through it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Is the Green Lantern the first, movie? The first ten minutes. It is of the, the first Green ten minutes movie. of Green Lantern. It really is, and let's, that's that is the only reason why this comic probably exists is because there is a Green Lantern movie out there, and perhaps the issues of Green Lantern, the movie's prequel number one, did not uh, sell that well. Well, let's take a moment and step back to King Shark or ho- whoever this is. This character is very clearly drawn as King Shark. King Shark is a former Superboy villain that Gail Simone uses in Secret Six. Right. The drawn as King Shark is at odds with the written as Green Lantern villain, the Shark, who is a completely different character. The Shark is a telepathic, mutated, actual shark, and he uses his telepathic powers on Hal Jordan in this issue. So they drew King Shark... Yeah. Which which leads me to believe one of two things. Either the writer doesn't know the difference between shark and king shark. And honestly, as nerdy as I am, that is not, you know, that's not a, a terrible offense. You don't have to know every character in the DC universe to successfully write one of them. But there should be an editor who says, hey, you know, or alternately, the redesigned Flashpoint version of the shark, the telepathic shark, right, looks just like the real world version of king shark. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's problematic. It's Flashpoint. With Hal Jordan doing something, ooh, I'm Hal Jordan, and look at how manly I am, and my flight suits have to be specially tailored. You know, and it ends with... Now, once again, Hal Jordan is in the military. Right. Apparently. He's in some sort of army, and he ends this issue by stealing a plane and telling his commanding officer, watch me, I'm taking this plane. And that doesn't make any sense. He's Hal And Jordan. then, of course, we... We find Hal Jordan following another ship, and then all of a sudden, something that looks just like the movie version of Abin Sur crashes to Earth, and he's like, You have to help me save the universe! Now, I yeah, haven't read is... the Abin Sur issues of Flashpoint. I, 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 don't know I haven't if, either. I've got them here. I, I don't know if it. they're good. I don't know if they're anything like this. And frankly, I don't care, because this book is awful. It is simply awful it's like the cliff notes version of stories that i've already read and there's nothing new here if you're gonna create this you know this whole universe where everybody's different and everybody's different and ooh, aquaman is this and wonder woman is this what's hal jordan well we got a movie coming out so he's gonna be exactly the same no just no. And I go through it, and I try not to be a jerk. I try not to be this guy. But as I look at the art in this issue, the artist tries really hard. I'll give him I'll give him that. The, whoever the creative team is on this, uh, let's see, who's my artist? My uh, artist's name is... Ben uh, Oliver. Uh, ben Oliver. Not familiar with Ben's work. But from page to page, his characters change. It's kind of similar to the work of Dan, Daniel Acuna who did uh, Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters and like that. Right. But then all of a sudden for a while, he's kind of looking like Barry Kitson. And then, you know, when he's drawing Aquaman, it's very clear that he's going off of an Aquaman that 
is based on reference material that someone else provided. The art is very spotty. You know, it changes back and forth. The equipment is amazing. Man draws a good plane. Yep. Never draws a cool shark twice in a row, but he draws a good plane. He draws a nice tank. He draws a nice Eiffel Tower. But the characters change from page to page, from panel to panel. For me, this, this is an example of the book that is driven entirely by sales. We're going to have this huge crossover. Oh, well, we're also going to have this movie, so let's get a little corporate synergy going and put together something where, you know, hey, let's show everybody what's awesome about Hal Jordan, yeah, which would be fine a- if that wasn't the last five years of DC Comics. For me, there's no reason... There's no reason to read this book. Yeah, it's such a half-ass attempt. It really yeah, is. And, and the fact that uh, Mr. Ferris looks like uh, uh, Howard Hughes is uh, pretty poor. It's actually Hector Hammond. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, he looks like another, Howard Hughes. Another tie-in to the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm just... In, as much as I'm enjoying portions of Flashpoint, Canterbury Cricket was oddly, you know enjoyable and the main book while going slow is at least trying to give me something that i haven't read a dozen times before this is just a love letter to jeff john's hal jordan and if you already read green lantern as i do that i've already seen this this is i mean this is completely mercenary one slice of meatloaf and we're going to pretend it never happened Oh, you can't pretend it never happened because this has been recorded on the electrons for Stephen Francis all Schleicher. time. I, I I'm not even sure that anything never happened because I oh, work listen at a to call this. center where lies. Adam Schlagman, if that is his no, real no. name, that's not a person. This is this is his looks to be maybe his first work as a writer, maybe. Uh, certainly not. He's oh no. He's written uh, Batman: The Brave and the Bold, Volume One, Number Nineteen, DC Halloween Special Number One, DC Holiday mm-hmm. Special Number Two, Flashpoint: Aben Sewer, Flashpoint: Hal Jordan, The Kilowog Prequel, and Untold Tales of Blackest Night, Volume One, Number One. Yeah, one slice of the old meatloaf there. I you know it's really Rodrigo. Am, am I mistaken when I say that this is a no? It's the it's the open to the Green Lantern movie. Yeah. So, there you go, listeners. Rodrigo, let us jump ahead a week, or to this week. Mm-hmm. Comics coming out this week. Elric, The Balance Lost, from our friends over at Boom Studios. Elric, The Balance Lost, number one. So, um, Elric, The Balance Lost, number one, is this guy, right? <laughs> yes. And, uh, Why do I get the feeling that Rodrigo is doing that thing where he's doing a book report and just reading the blurbs <laughs> off the cover? No, no. Anyway, <laughs> if you'll recall, back back when Elric first met, I heard the owl call my name. They were, uh, <laughs> they got in a fight scene. <laughs> and then the native son was all like, you can't have my bridge to Terabithia. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Narnians are hanging out there. <laughs> Mr. Tumnus is going to get you. Yes. <laughs> Zathura! Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Anyway, so this is based on, let's see, what's the guy's name? uh, Michael Moorcox, Elric of Melanbonet. 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 Okay. 
or something yeah, like El- that. Elric and Lisa Bonet, yes. Um, and he's this uh, super cool albino sword fighter guy with a with a demon sword. Um, like and he has also a bunch of other characters because eventually, um, this guy began tying up all of his tying together all of his fiction oh, okay. into sort of this one Uber cycle that where basically all of a lot of his anti heroes or protagonists were sort of facets of the same character, but still the had their own champion. stories going. Sure. Uh, yeah, the Eternal Champion is what it was called. Um. So here's a brand new facet of the Eternal Champion. Um, I don't know if they had ever done, you know, modern day America version of them, but here you go. If they hadn't, um, we are introduced to a whiny nerd whose name I believe is Eric, um, who has an evil, literally has an evil twin, um. Wow, I've never heard of that. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because, you know, you get, like, evil clones and people from other dimensions. Like, this guy literally has an evil twin. So it's 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 Ooh, weirdly... The on the wrong side. It's weirdly a... Bre- yeah, don't look so surprised. It's weirdly a breath of fresh air to have a literal evil twin. But anyway, um, the, you know... Okay, l- let me just start with the art in this uh in this issue looks good it's it's very cool but if you are not familiar with these characters because this elric the balance lost is clearly going to be a story about multiple characters from that work from that over uh if you will um so if you're not familiar with them you're already lost and i am not really all that familiar with anyone except for Elric, and really that's just because my uh, research into why do people want to keep playing Drizzt yeah. led me down this way. Ah, and I, I haven't, I actually haven't read any any of the I of think the we bumped books. into a, an Elric parody when we did Volume 2 of Cerebus a year or two ago. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, right, right, right. Yep. Elrod the Albino, who, talk, who, talk, who talks like uh, Colonel Sanders, if I was a... Right, or right. Or it all makes sense now. Um and and really that's all I got to say about that. You know, it it you see four different four or five different dimensions. Wacky things are happening in their own genres, really. Um and Glenn Beck is evil. The end. <laughs> um It's a little confusing. Yeah. That's because you have to read the issue to get that joke, right? Or is he actually evil? No, right? no, no, no. The the evil twin is a looks just like is it. a is a pundit. Okay. Um, a, a a bombastic pundit for the like oppression party. It, that's the other thing is like the thing is if you're gonna set something in the modern world, you can't be so heavy handed about it. Where yeah. like. People are like, we hate diversity. You know, like that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and of course, I'm sure that's all going to turn out to be totally super evil and stuff. But that that was a little off putting to me. I, I kind of hope for something a little bit more subtle. Um, and then, of course, we I got teleported to another dimension. 
Um, the main character is a game designer, and he's kind of getting his wires crossed with these other dimensions, which hints to us that he is, in fact, one of the multiple um, versions of Elric. Probably the white hair probably tips you off, too. Uh, it does, except I think some of the other versions of him don't have white hair. Ah, okay. Um, mm. But, but yeah. Um, the art is pretty. Yeah. No, the yeah. art the art looks very good. Um and of and, and at the end, uh basically as he's about to get mobbed by his evil brother's cronies, um, somebody shows up and is like, Come with me if you want to live. Yeah. And that's the end of the issue. Okay. That's out this week from Boom Studios, Rodrigo. Ongoing? Ah miniseries, I wanna say. Let me open this back up again. What kind of slice of meatloaf stuff are you going to give this? I'm going to give this two slices of meatloaf. Okay. Largely based on the art. I think I think maybe if I was way the crap into this stuff, I would be like, "Oh, I know who that is and I know who that is." And I know and there's a lot of cool stuff going on here, but to me this really feels a lot like the cross-gen stuff mm-hmm. where it's like, mm-hmm. "Here's a comic about one f- fragment of a multiverse alternate reality stuff so we're not going to tell you anything either about the multiverse or this world because we're going to spend half the time talking about both right well Uh, and and also bringing up a main character this is an ongoing series Mm -hmm. one thing rodrigo that i think you'll appreciate at least is that Mm -hmm. uh i know you're not way the crap into elric himself but you know what they calls him because he is the albino swordsman now what they call him? They calls him the White Wolf. Ooh, that explains Which, that too. Yeah, and a couple of guys who were fans of his started a little role playing company uh, named after him, and uh, created some stuff about the vampires and the the werewolves and uh, the mages and the Prometheans and the changelings and like that. Cool. All right. So there that's you completely go. useless knowledge that Matthew has. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Yeah, but Matthew, that's what you do. You bring that that knowledge, for what it's worth, to the show, to share with our hey, listeners. Now, let us get $2 to... $2 an hour plus tips, according to Dion. Let's get to... Oh, Steven. Uh, yes. Before we go on, there's one thing I need to tell you. What's that? It's time! Ah, uh, get some every time. <laughs> I literally was not expecting that, which is why I was taking a drink at the time. <laughs> It's time for the millions in attendance and the 37 people statistically who are scratching their butts right this instant. Ooh, creepy, and now you're all freaked out, aren't you? The major spoilers poll of the week, 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 week. Steven gives you the finger edition. I forget which one of uh, which one of you guys, which one of the major spoilers crew suggested this or if it was a Twitter suggestion or whatever. But if somebody suggested, poll of the week this week should be rock, paper, scissors. Go! Rodrigo. <laughs> um, I'm a f- good old rock. Nothing beats that. Um, now, I am a fan of rock. I think that um, as the, uh, the most commonly thrown uh, one, which I believe it, rock is. Probably is rock, yeah. Um, people have developed a lot of strategies around rock mostly uh throwing paper <laughs> um but because of that there's this potential for a rock upset upset mm-hmm. um 
I, I I very often say in completely non rock paper scissors related stuff, nobody expects the avalanche, which is to just <laughs> constantly throw rock. Throw rock, yeah. Okay. And I do that, and it's true. I do that in games in in other stuff, right? Where I just do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And everybody usually the third time they're like, "Well, there's no way he's just gonna try the same strategy again." Yeah, yeah. And then I actually get somewhere because. They were expecting me to change my strategy. Yeah. Now, that doesn't have to be rock. You could do the same thing with the other two. But because of its stability, rock lends itself to that. <laughs> okay. Rod- uh, vote for rock for Rodrigo. Matthew, what about you? Well, and I, sociologically speaking, I'm finding it interesting as I look at the results and the answers because people are responding with what I believe to be a cognitive bias and an intentional bias looking at something called the primacy effect. Because when you talk about three things, you know, uh, what's, what's important to you? Well, family, health, and finances, family comes first because primacy proves that the most important thing comes first. And I really think that so many people are choosing rock because they believe that, because they're they're conditioned to believe that the one that comes first is the more intention. Mm. Play rock paper scissors with a kid sometime. Yeah, almost one hundred percent of the time, the kid will shoot rock first. Sure, because the game is called rock paper scissors, and rock comes first. I always shoot paper first to beat rock. But then sometimes you meet somebody who knows that, and they try and like they mm. try and black adder you. They're thinking they have a plan so clever you could put a tail on a call a weasel. They always throw scissors because so many people know about the primacy effect and they throw paper to beat the, yep. the implied rock and then we're cha-cha. So when I play I always throw suborbital meteor. No, it doesn't count. Rock paper scissors. Because I'm a fan of, of and the you, adventures of people. So you already and said also paper. Because, yeah. Because for one reason the rules of the game do not specifically say nothing else. It's not called rock, paper, scissors only. <laughs> but if I had to pick one, I would probably go with scissors. All right. I, too, went with scissors because if Rodrigo's going to throw rock and people are thinking, oh, rock's going to be the primary one, I'll counter with paper. Therefore, yep. people are going to throw paper. So, therefore, I cut it with scissors. But mm-hmm. now that people know my strategy that I'm going to throw scissors first, you're automatically going to think, I'll just throw rock and crush his scissors and win, at which point I throw paper as that opening move. Bah, but now that you know that strategy, mm-hmm. you could be saying, well, I'll cast scissors then to cut Steven's paper, at which point I will Clearly, you can't take the drink in front of you. <laughs> no, and scissors- knowing that you are a learned man, you know that death is unavoidable, so you would keep the poison as far away from you as possible. Scissors for me, just because of the, uh, of the primacy effect. Even though it's the, the last one on the list. The irony is the fact that as you age, you look more and more like Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Which, now that I think about it, I kind of resemble Andre the Giant, you know, in, in girth, not necessarily in height. And Rodrigo looks a little bit like Princess Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that it. big I bushy that beard was, just uh, really sells it. I tell you, I knew that was coming. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm lucky that I didn't just get an ROUS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Matthew, how did the uh, people vote so far? Uh, as as I'm today? looking at it right now, I'm showing 360 votes, which is a full circle. 
Yes. Which, oddly enough, this joke has come full circle. 41% of people falling into that psychological trap and choosing Iocane, I mean, rock. Whereas 35% paper and only 24% of the people choosing scissors. And it's weird to me because if you took paper and scissors and averaged them out, you literally have, you would have one third of the votes. So I'm wondering if it's just that rock is so awesome or that, you know, we're just, uh, smash, we smash. I think when people hear rock, they think the rock. And so they're casting their vote mm-hmm. because of that. I think they think Dwayne, the rock Johnson, and they hope that the sequel to GI Joe doesn't suck. Exactly. So if it was rock paper, Adrian Palicki, I would always choose Adrian Palicki. <laughs> All right. She can jam my can. lady anytime she wants. You know, there's an interesting response over in, in the uh, comment section. I don't know if this is you know, apparently uh, KVH went and did some research on rock, paper, scissors and goes into a whole a whole social ideologies of, of the symbols of rock, paper, scissors and what they mean throughout the world. And mm-hmm. uh, you are thinking too much into this <laughs> poll of the week. Yeah, there's, but it's there's interesting. Also it is an interesting read. Two urban legends in that explanation by the way are there two things that are not true but are wild, widely held to be oh true. the so, uh the the v uh, sign yeah the v for yeah. victory and the open yeah, yeah. hand salute of the ancient romans yeah yeah <coughs> all right there. everybody head over there vote cast your comments your thoughts whatever major spoilers poll of the week there's a link in the show notes or if you uh just happen to have your ipad open you can just type in majorspoilers.com it'll be right there on the right side you can cast your vote from remote or afar or wherever you may be now then we want to know thoughts from you we want to hear comments from you we want to hear you discuss things we want to hear you talk about comics we want to hear you talk about pop culture we want to hear you talk about why rodrigo is awesome all you need to do is call the Major Spoilers Hotline. We want hotline. to hear somebody talk about Rodrigo. We want you to call the Major Spoilers Hotline. That number, Matthew, is... 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers, please give Rodrigo some love. He's feeling very, very left out. Hotline. <laughs> now, come on. That's not nice. That's true. He gets all the I, love. Whenever people I, I like, get all the love. Critical Hit is so awesome, and Rodrigo is a super genius, and he came up with the coolest thing ever. And also, that fat guy does a funny voice. And then there's Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> the irony is I said that with a funny voice. Okay, let's talk about our book of the week this week. It's Captain America Nomad, which book collects week, uh, <laughs> Captain America and the Falcon issues 177 through 186. This came out in 1976. Um, Steve Rogers is disillusioned with America and has decided to walk away from Captain America forever. For the first time. For the first time forever. Mm -hmm. Because he's 20 years out of his, uh, out of his uh, zone zone. And he can't cope with these new kids. Well, you know what it says in the book that he was uh, resurrected in the sixties. So he would have been out of his time period by what? 20 years at that point is what one point he makes in the, in the book. Yeah, he says he says that he's he's uh, was thought in the '60s. Yeah, so he missed the '50s and he missed all that fun times, and now he's in the '70s and he can't understand what everybody's jive talking about. And there's a lot of <laughs> jive talking in this book. That's why he has the Falcon to help him out. Yes, the Falcon. Tell us about the Falcon, Matthew, briefly, because he uh, he actually plays a, a key role in this whole uh, whole yes. series. 
In a previous issue, some years before, Captain America was lost on the island of exiles and uh, trapped by the Red Skull in the Red Skull's own body. And he had no way to get back to himself, and he was trapped, and he was lost, and he happened to find a young man named Sam Wilson, who had a trained falcon. And he and Sam came up with this identity and turned, basically, turned Sam into a superhero called the Falcon to freak out the Red Skull. Wow. And for about three or four years at this point, maybe longer, um, the Falcon and Captain America had been working together to the point where, for some time, this book was actually called Captain America and the Falcon. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's a little bit time, smaller. So yeah. Is it, uh, that's what it is now, right? Is that, the on, is that an ongoing or is it a miniseries now? What do you mean? The Captain America and the Falcon. Oh, I don't know. Because there's a new series or uh, something going on with that. I haven't been reading that thing. I don't know if it's if it's a lin- It's probably a mini. I know they did a Captain America and the Falcon book in 2003 that had Bart Sears art that made me want to claw out my eyes. <laughs> uh, the uh, first issue in this series opens up with uh, a dream that is highly phallic, highly sexual in nature. And it's only a dream. Well, here is uh, Captain America and the Falcon discover this bomb, this pointy bomb that that they have to get out of a building. And the only building that's there is this window opening. And and we hear such lines as Captain America saying, push, Falk, just a little bit more. Cap, it's too late. She's going to blow. Bam! And then he wakes up and realizes it's a dream. I'm just saying. I read that and I was like, wait a minute. If this is really a dream, then that... Wait a minute. But uh, Falcon's having some problems with uh, Captain Stepping... Or Steve Rogers stepping down as Captain America. And it seems like America is kind of having a little bit of a problem. Some are in favor of him stepping down, and other people are opposed to him stepping down as Captain America. And this is in the Ford era. You know, this is yeah, the post-Nixon doldrums of the 1970s. And, and, and what was the... What's really what, important is that Captain America stepping down was a direct result of an issue that I did a retro review of not too long ago, uh, wherein Captain America discovered that a high-ranking government official <coughs> was actually the leader of the Secret Empire and killed himself in front of Cap's very eyes, crushing Cap's faith in America and, okay. and you know basically destroying everything that he believed about America and, and good and kindness and everything. Plus so that, uh, that's uh, the reason why Cap stepped down. That's caught Correct. us up on that. Uh, so in this first arc, we have uh, this uh, candy snacking cross-dimensional guy named Lucifer. Candy snacking? Yes, he breaks yes. into a he breaks into a deli and starts snacking on candy. He uses some beam to project himself to Earth, where he plans on staying forever. Yet, because he ate some candy bars, right, mm-hmm. his molecular balance has become destabilized. So he's being drawn back to uh, what's his dimension, uh, Luciferville. Yes, and Luciferville. Uh, the only Are we way- sure those aren't hostess fruit pies. <laughs> <laughs> They very well might be. But he says, ah, delicious. Uh, And the only way that he can uh, figure out to anchor himself into this realm is to merge with uh, an angry black man, Ralph Murphy, Raffy Murphy? (laughs) Rafe. Rafe Murphy. Rafe Murphy. And uh, so we get get a switch there. But that's, that's not enough. He's burning through his energies. 
He's still going to yeah. be drawn back unless he shares his energy with Ares. And, yes. be, and we end up Zodiac with two. Cartel. And we end up with two Lucifer. Lucifer. <laughs> now, there, there's a couple of really great things about this first arc. Okay. One is, I want, you, me, to, I want you to look at the book. Steve Englehart yes. does not use any punctuation other than exclamation points and question marks. Well, so he's got a few comments here and there. No, yeah. Every sentence, no matter how minor it is, ends with an exclamation point. Oh, I no longer suffer. We are free. Secondly, did you know that Lucifer is the man who crippled Professor X? Really? I did not know this. I know nothing about all this kind of history. Yeah. So this is like, for me, ancient history, mm -hmm. I, yeah. even though I was Lucifer alive at this time. Lucifer is actually period. the character who caused Professor X to lose the loss of his legs originally. And Steve Englehart, who was one of Marvel's writers, tied everything together. He liked to use basically his rotating cast. He's kind of like the Tim Burton of comics. At that time, a lot of people were. Ares is part of his uh, giant arc with the Zodiac Cartel. But, yeah, it's it's interesting to see Rafe Michaels, who is basically kind of a, a 70s jive turkey, taking on the power of Lucifer, and then there's two of him. Lucifer. Well, but not. But what I think is interesting, though, is that they're both African-American, right? Mm -hmm. Which I, I... So we get not only... Not only do we get a... It's uh, going from a extra dimensional being to a more human being with powers, but now we also have an ethnicity change too. Mm -hmm. At a time when it's important to have uh, black characters in books, but unfortunately, in this case, they're portraying them as bad guys. Well, but I mean, well, it's the, Captain the America hero. and, the, and Falcon. the Falcon, right? Right. And the hero of the first three issues of this arc is the Falcon because Captain America yeah. is inactive. He basically so, says, forget it. I'm going to go have a life. I'm having fun. Whatever so, you people do in the 70s, I'm going to go do it. Do you know what this blonde is willing to do for me, man? I have, I'm going to go to never... a key party. Yeah. <laughs> we drive a Vista Cruiser. We're, we're talking about uh, Sharon. Is yep, that who you're Sharon talking about? Carter. Sharon Carter. Um, so Sharon Carter is his, what, current girlfriend. Uh, Sharon is also dead for a while. Okay. She's back now. She got better. Steve's also having having to deal with uh, Peggy, an old girlfriend from the forties, mm -hmm. and deal with that situation. But he's having too much fun Who is as Sharon's older sister, I might add. Oh, the draw! It, a lot of this now. I got to tell you, I love my wife to death, but since she's been on maternity leave, she's been watching one of those soap operas that are on the one with Erica in it. Mm, I think uh, I think at this point there's only one soap opera. Oh, okay. Left. Well, it ends in August. It's called like, it's, Days of Our Lives. It's called all my One Life, One Life to Live, One Life to Bold and Beautiful. <laughs> well, whatever it is, I come home a couple of times a week for lunchtime, and Passions. she's watching it, and it's something with Erica and a twin, you know, swapping places, and you get all this soap opery drama. That's what a lot of this feels like as I was reading through this entire volume. Mm -hmm. A lot of this feels like a soap opera, which is fine, because really that's kind of what comic books are. A soap Especially opera for, well, yeah. But it just, you know, I'm in love with you, but I'm also in love with your older sister that I knew 20 years ago. Dun, dun, dun. And oh, by the way, that guy over there. only in love with there, Captain America. <laughs> that guy over there pretending he's the Golden Arrow, he's not. He is, and we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> but uh, you're right, Matthew. The Falcon really steps up as as the hero because Steve is really just leave me alone. 
And that's great. I thought it was great. It's interesting to see um, the Falcon try to... Um, well, I mean, he is a hero, but he's also trying to figure out who he is. And, and I, th- I think, I think that aspect of this is is definitely very well written because the Falcon isn't just like, "All right, you should be able to leave, you know, live your life however you want." He's like, "What are you talking about, man? Yeah, yeah. There's criminals that need busting. You're Captain Freaking America." And he's like, "Not anymore, son." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "All right, well then, I'm gonna be the Falcon by myself." <laughs> And then when Captain America comes back and helps him, he's like, I don't need your help. Yeah, you know, off, Because right? they're, they're yeah. friends and they're right, right. pissed off at each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't the need your thing- help. And he does not call him honky. No, he doesn't, which is good. But I know he good. wanted to. But you do have, <laughs> you do have some interesting characters in this book. Uh, I find it interesting that when Steve Rogers steps down... Suddenly, everybody thinks that I will become Captain America. Another something that I also another thing that I found to be really cool about this. It is. It, I mean, I it like makes that. a lot of sense. Yeah, here's a, here's an all star baseball player who says, "I'm retiring from baseball. I'm the greatest athlete of baseball has ever seen, and I'm going to become Captain America." And on his first night, he misses, miscalculates his swing or his jump, and he breaks his arm, and he winds up in the in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so his career as Captain America is over. We get to see a gang leader who uh, is like, "Well, if anybody can be Captain America, I'm going to be Captain America." And then Stop he realizes, and then he realizes that uh, he can't take on a whole gang of people like yep, uh, Captain six, America can. He gets in a fight with six guys and they trounce him. And then there's a third person that right. steps into limelight. But again, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. What I find interesting, the Lucifer. What is this? Is this two or three issues that the Lucifer storyline goes? Two issues of Lucifer. Yep. Uh, you know, I find I find that as each of the each of the little major villains or whoever step in i think they're all so well done i mean as and i don't want this to me to sound bad or to put down captain america or the series or or Englehart or anything like that but there's a lot of of cheese in these books Mm -hmm. but it's done so freaking well right at one point i'm rolling my eyes but then on the other hand i'm like this is this is perfect yeah you know um we get into this uh, this second arc, uh, slings and arrows, and there's this uh, golden arrow guy who is taunting Steve Rogers, and it's like, "I know who you golden are. Archer. You're gonna you're gonna see me three times," and he just vexes and plagues Steve Rogers, and and of course Steve Rogers, who nobody knows he's Captain America except for the golden archer, except for the golden and archer, his, ah! and, his, and his sidekick quarter pounder. <laughs> he is tested. How dare you! <laughs> his sidekick's name is the grimace <laughs> well why is he wearing the hambler burglar's mask then uh time and time again he tests steve rogers and steve fights back until suddenly steve gets the better of him punches him and suddenly the guy's like hey i surrender man he's like wait a minute your voice is changing why you're not the golden archer you're hawkeye <laughs> hawkeye wearing a rubber mask over his regular mask, over <laughs> you know, that is, his face. <laughs> that is, uh, that's one of those things. Yeah, that is just it's just it's just so classic, awful comics. You know, yeah, it's just like because oh come on, like just spend a panel. Yeah. yeah, like they both know what the other one looks like. Just have it be Clint. 
yeah. and have him say, "Oh, since they since they explain everything anyway, Clint, I recognize you as Hawkeye, who is also my partner and friend from the Avengers, and that I talk to all the time." And that's what's kind of nice about this for people who are not into, yeah. Uh, the Marvel history at this point, which is already very rich for what fifteen years or something like that, Matthew. Right, as far as um, yeah. superheroes, the, new, the superhero Marvel um, goes. Uh, I think they do very well the flashbacks and telling you where we saw. The, I, I love editors' notes. I just love the editors' notes because you don't need to know. You don't. I'm not going to go back and find these issues of the Avengers that they're talking about here. Mm-hmm. But I do know that, oh, this was discussed somewhere else, and they've given me enough information, even if it is in kind of cheesy dialogue form, they've given me enough information to know what's going on in this story. Yep. But the uh, upshot of this is the uh, Hawkeye says, you know what? Maybe you should just get a new costume and go buy a new name instead of Captain America. You don't have to be Captain America, but you still have, you know, you can still do good, which is actually a pretty phenomenal thought process. Mm-hmm. At this point in the at in time, it was a really new one too. These days, it happens all the time. You know, Hank Pym at this point in time, it only had two super three super. Okay, bad example. <laughs> but you yeah. know, changing your superhero identity was kind of a rarity at that point in time, and it usually happened when your superhero identity was a huge failure, like forgive me, Ant Man. That, you know, you have to try and revamp it and do something different. So having Captain America, you know, give up being Captain America, but keep crime fighting is pretty awesome. And he has to think about this. He has to yes. contemplate it. He has to he leap walks through along, the air. along the docks. He has to leap through the air and someone says, hey, I recognize that guy. It's Robert Redford. <laughs> Which I thought was a good little, little jab uh, in there. And we we get introduced, and, and really, at this point, the story, the villains, really, to me, take a whole backseat. So I don't care about this serpent serpent team or whoever they are. Oh, but uh, you have to. That's the first appearance of the Viper. Which yeah. is which is who? Tell us. I see Madam Hydra. The girl in green. Madam Hydra was a character from way back in the day. Um, uh, for those of you who care, she was created, I believe, by Jim Steranko. But Madam mm-hmm. Hydra was kind of awful up to mm-hmm. a point. She was well-drawn. Um, but Madam Hydra comes back and becomes the Viper, who actually looms pretty large in Marvel history. Note that the Viper was married to Wolverine, uh, was the adoptive mother of Spider-Woman, is one of the characters who's been revealed to be behind Hydra, which was behind S.H.I.E.L.D., which is behind Hydra. Now I just confused myself. <laughs> but in any case... This particular issue is notable for two things. Issue 180, and again, I'm talking about the original issues and not the collection because I <laughs> did It's notable. I like for two how things. it's not even. It's not even intelligible anymore. It's I, not even I remember this because <laughs> I'm actually making fun of myself, so you don't have to. The first appearance of the Nomad, but also. The first appearance of the Viper. And issue 180 has one thing that I want to discuss. Because we were discussing this on the critical hit recording yesterday. Okay. The the cover to issue 180 is drawn by Gil Kane. Right. Gil Kane is basically the Barry Gibb of Marvel Comics. I'm Uh Barry effing Gibb! On, On the cover of issue 180, he has drawn nomad looking so awesome in a costume that looks nothing like the costume yeah. inside the issue right and you know why he did that because i've gil effing k 
<laughs> I love the fact that for years I tried to, you know, find this issue because I love that cover and I love the interior. And people talked about the Nomad story. And yeah. I'm like, that cover's awesome. And then I finally bought this issue and I read the insides and I'm like, that's, hey, that's not even the same. Oh, man. It's a, it's a coloring issue. I mean, it's basically it's the not same. Just the but some coloring. It's, coloring is part of it. And I have to admit that black, midnight blue, and red would be much better as a yeah. you know a cost color. Right. But it's just it, it's fascinating to me to look at that color and imagine being a kid in 1974 and going, "Hey, what kind of uh, case, what story. kind of team ups between DC and Marvel were occurring during this time period?" None. The first because Marvel I, DC I, team up come in like seventy eight. I, I just find it interesting that. As, uh, as Steve Rogers is uh, designing his costume. Yeah. You know, I need to move away from the red, white, and blue. I've already picked an all-weather fabric uh, in somber tones, and the name should be something dark, mysterious. I hope a bat doesn't fly in my window, or I'll be in big trouble! Exclamation point. <laughs> it's a joke, Steve! <laughs> I know, I know, but I was just, you know, I think maybe as, a, as someone reading this, they might get a kick out of oh my gosh they just referenced batman in this marvel comic and that's never happened before you know that kind of stuff i think was was kind of funny to do those kind of call outs mm-hmm. not funny haha yeah. but funny as curious right. as an oddity um but uh, this costume how are <laughs> rodrigo you is... made a, a comment earlier about how we're gonna find out who yeah, uh, that... no man really is yes um you know <laughs> earlier uh, in this in this book uh, or in this arc, uh, Steve Rogers was very concerned that somebody will see him like outside fighting without his shirt, right? And recognize him as Captain America. But my concern is that somebody's going to recognize him as Nomad because of his weird ass tan, tan lines. <laughs> Basically, this mask if you if you haven't seen this Nomad mask, it his head is open, the top of his head is open. Mm-hmm. And yep. then his eyes are covered with a domino mask that then wraps around his head and comes. It's almost like the the bottom half of a cowl. Right. It's like he's got a convertible cowl on. Right. And so if he did stay out in the sun too long, he'd have this obvious mark on his face that mm-hmm. the SPF in the Marvel Universe must be really high. People don't get sunburns in the Marvel Universe. No. And no. much as Hawkeye proved early in the issue, all the skin you see is probably just made of rubber anyway. Yep. So, you know, that'll never happen. But I think mean, this costume is like pure concentrated 70s. It's cut, oh, yeah, it's it is. cut down to the navel and he's yep. got he's got a cape and he's got, you know, he's got the standard Captain America boots, the little the private yes. boots, what do they call those Corsair boots and Captain America gloves. But he's got a big giant belt like he's going to the disco or about, you know, to now, win the a... Intercontinental Championship. Did they? Intention- I mean, I got to tell you, this it's is an ugly, ugly. costume. Do you think that they intentionally created this to be an ugly costume, knowing that in four more issues he'd be back as Captain America? I doubt it. I don't. And I think the reason why is if you look at the Falcon, a lot of the things that we dislike about the Steve, uh, not Steve, the Sal Buscema version of Nomad that we see here mm-hmm. are also visible in the Sal Buscema design for the Falcon. Mm-hmm. Similar mask, similar yeah. you know, cut down yeah. to the chest line, neckline. I think that they were trying to be really hip and were lucky that it didn't have, you know, flare bottoms and, oh. and a Barbarino uh, wig with it. But it's it, the problem is not that the costume is ugly. 
well, because it kind of is, but I think that it may have been designed with the intent of not being as cool as Captain America's. It's that it's particularly generic yeah, in the way yeah. that it looks. Well, yeah, and you and, know, it's like it's it's funny because if you if you look at it, you know, diegetically from from how Captain America is going, then it makes sense. Right. You know, he's like, okay, he makes the costume and then he comes up with a name for himself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you have to know that this happened the other way around. You know, they probably came up with the name Nomad first, right, right, and then designed a costume. Yeah. I mean, probably first they were going to change Captain America, then they came up with a name, then they designed a costume. And even if that all didn't happen, what about this costume says Nomad? I mean, a lot about this costume says no. No, man. That's what it should have said. No, man. A lot about this costume says uh, pirate. Yeah. Costume pirate. What is this villainous team? The Serpent Six or whatever they are? The Serpent Squad. The Serpent Squad is kidnapping some rich Playboy type guy uh, in yep. a movie theater while a Captain America movie is going on, and Nomad must fight them on stage in front of the screen where Captain America stuff is playing. Mm-hmm. Now that Isn't is that brilliant though. That is that again is cool. for the seven, and again uh, not to disparage stuff that came out of the seventies, but for the seventies, this is a pretty high concept that if people were using this in a comic book today, people would say, "Wow, that is really deep." Mm-hmm. And what they're doing there. And yet they're doing this in the 70s, which I think is very cool. I also and think it it's also, very cool. I was going to yeah, say, I think it, it it's also, also very cool. Pers- you go. I was going to say, uh, go ahead and finish what you're saying about the film, but then I want to talk about the cape. The thing about the film that really is awesome to me is that the book is called Captain America and the Falcon. It's not Steve Rogers. It's not Nomad. And right. in every issue, they give us a little Captain America. Mm-hmm. This is the first issue of the arc that doesn't have a wannabe cap running around in the costume. So how do they give us Captain America? Why, I'll tell you how they give us Captain America. They put in that super brilliant sequence of what Captain America stands for and da-da-da, newsreel footage, to remind us all the fact that Yes, Steve Rogers is doing what Steve Rogers is doing doing as the nomad, but the Captain America thing is still important. And I really like that that kind of meta statement about Captain America as an icon. And mm-hmm. I like the way that he, you know, by 70 standards and by comic standards, it's relatively subtle. I mean, yeah. it's something where you're not being beaten over the head with this, but it's there and that subtext you can pick it up and you can go, "Hey, that's that's well, that's pretty I, phenomenal. I think what is strong about it is that you get both. You you get people saying, Steve, Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. quit being a putz and become Captain America again. Mm-hmm. Captain America is important. Yeah. People respond to Captain America. Because it's always You need in the to background. be Captain America again. Yeah. And then also, you know, here's Nomad. Yeah, I'm Nomad. I don't need to be Captain America anymore. And yet here's this giant Captain America yeah, behind yeah. him. Yeah. Completely yeah. overshadowing him. And then not only that, now to tie now to tie into this cape thing, not only does Captain America behind him saying, Hey, numbskull, you need to be Captain America, he totally falls flat on his face mm-hmm. by tripping over his cape, <laughs> which is a, a perfect way to say nomad, this is you're not long lived to be nomad. Yeah. Uh and he and- also Engelhart uh, pulls an Edna Mode, you know, 20 years before Edna Mode says, no capes. It's it's funny that the Viper actually gets the punchline. I always knew I'd see some guy do that someday. 
Just yeah, yeah. The, the sheer joy of the Viper giggling as he falls flat on his face. That sells that whole issue for me. Well, this is one that's a particular... She's soulless and evil, but she knows funny. Yeah, she's laughing. Uh, this is one issue that was particular favorite to uh, one of our uh, listeners, Taz, who says, alas, that issue was one of the ones that uh, perished in, uh, in his parents' house during Hurricane Fran. Uh, the scene of Steve Rogers stepping on the cape of his costume was once one of those dang, they actually made fun of that moments that, that he likes so much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It truly um, awesome. So, we jump, uh, we jump ahead to another issue, and now we're introduced to yet another Marvel character in the form of the Submariner. And, of course, what always happens when two heroes meet for the first time. They fight. They fight. Fight. We are fight. We fight and fight and fight. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's a bigger discussion on. <laughs> My son has gotten. I made a joke the other day. He was wanting me to clear this level of uh, cut the rope, mm-hmm. and I said, "No, I can't do it. Only Captain Awesome can do it." And I'll say, "Let me show you how Captain Awesome can solve this level." And so I'm, you know, showing him how I do it, and he pretty soon every time he wants something, he goes, "Can Captain Awesome come and do this?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, yes, son." And so I've got these new glasses, and we were joking about. When I'm glasses are on, I'm daddy. When the glasses are off, then you can call me Captain Awesome. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if Rodrigo, if you came into the house mm-hmm. wearing a, a glitzy getup, a big G on your test chest with a flowing cape, and your face was covered with some kind of a mask, mm-hmm. and you had a fake beard that you could put on and off, if you came into the house and said, Hello, young boy, five seconds he would say, Hi, Rodrigo. Yep. Submariner and Captain America have met before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Would it would it take but, so long for them sitting there having a conversation before Submariner goes, "Hey, wait a minute, you're Captain well, America." Well, but Captain or Nomad also is kind of putting on the act, and the Submariner is a jerk. So it's entirely oh, okay. possible that yeah. although Captain and, America and the Submariner have fought together a lot, the Submariner doesn't care. Also, you have to remember that Captain America and the Submariner fought. 20 years ago well together. that's true too and i didn't and know haven't how really interacted things... all that okay. much since then okay yeah and all right it, it would be kind of more like if you know you met my kid steven yes if you yes. walked into to my house wearing a mask and went hello fellow people she would probably kind of have to think about it before she remembered mr schleicher with shiny head oh okay all right well so the I, submariner i definitely see that but okay i, I just it's the whole Clark King glasses thing um so I he like is it. after Krang. 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 Freaking Krang. Krang. Yeah. Who has stolen a crown from Lumeria. And is hanging and out with Shredder in the tech. Yes. <laughs> yes. Rodrigo. We share a brain. That's what I always think when I think of it, too. I keep wanting to say Kang, but that's Kang the Conqueror, not Krang. That'd be somebody else. That'd be a yeah. Simpsons reference. Um. Krang has stolen some crown from Lumeria, and they p- hope to raise that lost city through some shenanigans of who they've kidnapped. Shenanigans. But before we get to that, we must find out who the new Captain America is, since Nomad is still being adult. Yep. I'll tell you who it is. Okay, please, tell us. It is a young boy from Brooklyn named Roscoe. And why a boy named named from Brooklyn would have a name like Roscoe, I don't know. Because when I think Roscoe, I think Deep South, kind of kick it, little nukes. Right. But 
Roscoe is a young boy who actually goes to the same gym as Steve Rogers and uh, uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that he would, you know, try because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his backstory has something to do with having met Captain America. Yeah, but, and plus he trains with Steve Rogers. and Right, and he has a phonetic accent, which is so wonderful. Because every time Roscoe opens his mouth, I hear Bugs Bunny. The real yeah. Captain America is <laughs> still among the missing. Just like I told you, I'm the new CA. Yeah. What a maroon. So, uh, you know, again, a lot of the villain plot line is really... Stuff you could skip over a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, yes, as Matthew said, uh, the introduction of the Viper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really about these heroes trying to get Captain America back in costume. It's got and crank. so we get into the next chapter, the next installment. And the first thing that I got to say is, holy crap, what happened to the art? Frank Robbins. Frank Robbins. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not. I. I usually read the issue and then I go back and look at who the artist was. And so I don't have a big depth of knowledge on the artists, but uh, Frank Robbins in Captain America, or maybe in the way he always draws, it's like action figures that have super loose joints mm-hmm. and you just kind of throw it out there and see where it lands. And that's the pose that he uses because his art is all over the fricking place. And it was more of a distraction in Frank? this, in, in the latter half of this book than any, I mean, I, to the point where I'm like, I'm only going to focus on the word balloons. I cannot look at the pictures. I like his Madame Hydra's Viper. Yeah, his Viper is good. Frank was a, a huge get for Marvel back in the day because Frank was really? a, yeah, he was a very well-known uh, comic strip artist. Uh, I think the guy who created like Raymond, Raymond, what's his name, who created Flash Gordon and those guys, mm-hmm. they were not available anymore. Some of them were dead, some of them were gone, but... Frank Robbins was pretty high profile as a comic strip writer and I believe also as a painter. So when he started working in comics and he did a couple of stories for DC on the Batman titles that had the same kind of dissonance, it was, it was something where this was actually a pretty big deal. He was, you know, a notable name, but even I read these books and I can look at the worst stuff ever put on paper by like Don Heck. And just go, I really appreciate that. That Vinnie Coletta ink saved everything. And some of these Robin's <laughs> pages, I'm just kind of like, wow, Frank was drunk. <laughs> There's just, there are action poses that are impossible, number one. Yeah, sure. uh, there would be people with uh, shoulders out of joint, balls out of their sockets. Yeah, um, so the realism of the action points is, is, is a big deal. Well, I mean... It just throws things out. Of, I mean, just it really throws things out of what we saw previously. I mean, when you're looking at art and you're looking at a book like this uh, that has some great name artists and you just compare the two, it's just it, it's very off putting at first. Now, had this done it been is. done all by all by one artist, had it all been done by by uh, by Robbins here may not have had a big issue with the art overall. But when you jump from the Steve Buscema stuff. Uh, to to this stuff, Sal. Sal, I'm sorry. Uh, then you're just like, Bleh. there's a it's there's a, a great change. there's a great page where uh, Roscoe as Captain America is like bouncing around, and then the last panel has the Falcon like basically doing a plie, 
Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that is if you uh, if you take out the text, just imagine that he's saying, "Everything you can do, I can do better. I can do everything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can." This is, this is indicative of the old style way of working too. Captain America mm-hmm. did not have arcs in 1973. Captain America had ongoing stories. Right. And every issue was someone's first and led to the next issue. So they're building up multiple subplots and things that don't make sense. And, oh, and now the Viper's trying to raise Lemuria and all of this madness. So when it, when it came to that change, it's not as jarring. Well, I shouldn't say that. I imagine that at that point in time, having read yeah. comics a few years later, these things did happen. I remember, you know, a couple of times where John Burns stopped drawing something and I went, ah, well, right. and even just, then, this was just I mean, another even, change in Captain America. I, I think maybe today they, the, the editors, um, or whoever's in charge, try to put together less jarring transitions. But I mean, even today you still get that, especially oh, yeah, when yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, when, big badass big name man can't finish a book and you need to sub in someone right, else right i mean who can you get that has art that is similar to uh chris bachalo mm-hmm. or yeah, you know or somebody like that it's like you? nobody because yeah because mm-hmm. most people draw people's heads like right. a normal person right. size as opposed to a cantaloupe right which i mean the the last page awesome of this reveal but still the last page of this reveal where it's the red skull has returned mm-hmm. and we see yeah. Uh, Roscoe as Captain America with these eyes that are like impossibly Huge. large for his. I his really, socket. I you know what? <laughs> Jokes aside, I really like that splash page. Really? Yeah. Why? The what what strikes you about skull. it? I mean, I like I like the reveal. I mean, it's yep. dramatic pose. It's a great angle. It's great composition. But I'm drawn to that Captain America eye, and I'm just like, I, I do think that Captain America, as he turns to the Falcon like this, he should say, "Oh no, it is a red skull, a fit, an old enemy <laughs> of Captain America." Ha ha! What are we gonna do, the Falcon? Well, we need to fight him, Captain America, new Captain America. Ha ha! Ha ha! Not to worry, my chip hid in my trunk. <laughs> I think. I honestly think that the the Frank Springer change would not have been as dramatic if it hadn't come from Sal Buscema. Sal's, you know, super clean, simple kind of line to this Frank Springer thing. Springer obviously inks with a brush, and he puts a lot of detail in it. And like Rodrigo said, his Madam Hydra, his Viper, is awesome. Yeah, I mean, some of those look great. His Cobra is pretty cool. His Sharon Carter scares me to this very day. I think think that's what it is, is everything is so... Over the top? So over the top that the villains look awesome, but, but the I mean, people okay, with normal so faces look weird. Go into the next chapter. Go into the next chapter where Nomad is fighting the, uh, the chicken funky people. chicken. The and go in, uh, go in, uh, what, like, into this chapter. We're one, two, three, four, five pages into this chapter. And look at Nomad prancing across in that bottom corner. That guy should have broken joints. Like I said, it's like somebody had an action figure with loose joints and just threw it on the floor, and this is what we came up with. I like that, actually. <sighs> on page six, where Somebody he's flipping himself the off the thing and he's got that frogman pose, that's super awesome. But again, I think part of part of the, what it comes down to is that it's a very, even in 1973, it's a very retro style. 
this is like 1940s comic art to some degree. Okay. And, well, and it's in a sense, and to an, it's, in the way it's inked, it, uh, you know, at first I was like, well, this is a weird Will Eisner way of doing something. It is. It is. Uh, and I think that's, that's what it's reminiscent of. But also, I mean, I don't think. I think it's more in how it's inked in, is way it. Well, me, I mean, I even the like the 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 posture of the characters. Yeah. You know, there's one where Nomad is like uh, talking to the 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 big boss, mm-hmm. and he like grabs him by the collar and yells at him like, "If you just like cut out a right, little right. fedora and yeah, slide and it on, on, I mean, that's yeah. that's a panel from the spirit right there." Right, right, yeah. So I, I mean, I get that vibe, but just some of those poses are just too crazy, especially when Captain America comes flying at Steve Rogers and is. Oh my God! It's Roscoe, and uh, Captain America is he dead? No, he's in a coma. No, what is what's up with Roscoe? Is he dead? Has the Red Skull killed yeah, him? He's dead. The Red oh. Skull murdered Roscoe in cold blood. No off panel, and so that is the last straw. The Red Skull has shown Steve Rogers everything that is wrong in the world, and that there still can be good in America. And so he decides to da- to ditch his uh, tattered rags of a costume. He decides which literally to run have become home, tattered rags, leaving his his friend's corpse on a rooftop, and he decides to run <laughs> home and change his pants. Now, well, I, I like this splash page. Yeah, very strong. Um, you know, to me, it's interesting that it's like weirdly, this to me sends the wrong message. You know, it's like. I don't want to be Captain America anymore because of because I don't believe in what America stands for anymore, right? right. So he becomes someone else, fights, 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 and then somebody comes back from his past and kills his friend. Now, what about that would make him think I need to be Captain America again? If anything, he says it. The red. What does he say? He says, I can't let anybody else run the risk that the job entails for me. Hmm. So he's he's basically taking it up out of sheer duty, which I don't know if that's better or if that's worse. I I and it, it still feels very it's like Artificial. to me it seems like Captain America should go back to being Captain America because once again he believes in what America stands for. Which is which might be an interesting observation of, you know, the United States can do whatever it wants, but when push comes to shove and some foreign power comes into play, they're gonna be the cop, right? Yeah. So you you can read it that way. Sure. Certainly, I don't know. That's what the writers were gonna were trying to get into, but in the end, this <laughs> this kind of weirdly represents that you know the United States is going to you know suit up. And go take care of that. Right. Because there's a threat there. Right. And pre-1976, well, no, this is 77, so we'd already passed the centennial, so this wouldn't have aligned with anything, or the bicentennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't this have aligned is, with anything going on then. It's not 77 yet. It's the 34th anniversary of Captain America. Oh, I'm sorry. It's 75. Okay, so 75. So we're yeah. bordering on, uh, we're right at yeah. the, centen- the bicentennial. Um yeah. We get into this uh, the last chapter of this this last arc in this in this book, and we now have her uh, tr- uh, Trimpy doing the art, and you yep. open up with this another great well, classic look of. Uh, I suspect Captain that the Herb Trimpy issue is actually a fill in to avert the dreaded deadline doom. 
Yeah, it might have been. I, you know, I've. What happens is Captain America decides that uh, he's going to go uh, kick ass and uh, chew bubble gum, and he's all out of bubble gum, and he's going after the Red Skull. The problem is the Red Skull is going around and killing people with his Red Skull powder, which I didn't know, even know that that thing existed. I, I think I thought, it's. I think it's specific to this. Oh, arc. to this arc. Okay. Uh, and he wants what, the Falcon the to come help him. People into Red Skulls. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's had that. Oh, okay. okay. Well, it's pretty creepy, whatever it is. It's reminiscent of uh, Joker gas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, and... Joker gas is reminiscent of it. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, well, I read DC first, so there. My, uh, <laughs> so they, well, I think they, I think all of this is reminiscent of Vampirella. <laughs> so they all go to Hidden Away Cove, the Falcon, Captain America. Is that, is that next to Rockaway Beach? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Peggy, uh, Sharon... Gabe, Gabe, well, I don't know. Gabe, yeah, there's no Gabe has no. I, I think uh, later on they will talk about why Gabe has been here all along, but within this arc, Gabe doesn't yeah. really do much. It, it was in a previous arc, Gabe is Peggy's sort of boyfriend, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after Steve Rogers dumps her, the cad, um, the cad, so. They discover, and again, some crazy art of Red Skull faces from uh, Frank Robbins as we get into this. Yeah. I mean, just the Red Skull just doing these crazy faces. Just, I, you know, this is uh, like we were just saying, the villains look awesome because I'm you skull. can go crazy with look the villains. But we discover, <laughs> we discover how the Red Skull, even, even with Captain America and the Falcon there, we discover why the Red Skull is still able to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. It's because the Red Skull says, Falcon now! And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Falcon, it's time! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And the Falcon cracks wow. Steve Rogers over the head. You see, I'm going to tell you the real origin of the Falcon. Whoa. And that is actually probably yeah. the real origin of the Falcon. Is one of those shocking twists that I didn't see that coming. Matthew, what is the real origin of the Falcon? Um, vaguely racist, honestly. The real origin of the Falcon seems to be <laughs> that instead of being this upstanding young fellow, Sam Wilson was actually a minor mob schmuck uh, street hustler named Snap Wilson. Very, very 70s. Oh, yep. yeah. He and Kid Dynamite used to run the West Side. And Snap Wilson uh, tried to steal a plane full of money, crashed on what became to be Exile Island, and the Red Skull used the Cosmic Cube, which, by the way, the Red Skull used to have the Cosmic Cube, to completely change his his self and his identity. And here's the problem that I have with it. The Red Skull says this. And the Red Skull actually talks about creating the kind of man who would appeal to your sniveling liberalism. Now, the Red Skull saying something racist in a comic book, especially a comic book in the 70s, is not problematic for me. I'm actually good with a Nazi S-head saying things that are appropriate to a, you know, a Nazi point of view within reason. The problem is the story seems to bear him out. In that it was the Red Skull changing him that turned him into a good person. And it takes, you know, what was a very strong, one of the earliest strong black protagonists 
and makes him into just another street thug who was turned into something and made better by these manipulations and basically by the influence of Captain America. But essentially, the Red Skull has created the Falcon as we know him as a sleeper agent. Yeah. And made sure that he would get close to Captain America so that he could control him later. And now they must fight to the death. A dance to the death. And uh, Captain America has to uh, make the ultimate sacrifice and conk his friend on the head. No, the ultimate sacrifice was if he dies. <laughs> Conking his well, friend he's... on the head is is, just, know, is that the know, ultimate sacrifice? Because I ultimately sacrifice. sacrificed Rob and Brian yesterday. Yeah, uh, I've been he, wanting to uh, sacrifice even for about six months because now. because the Falcon is fighting to the death. Uh, Cap has to do the same thing and uh, punches the Falcon and puts him in a coma. And now this is the punch gone mad. And that's where it ends. That's yeah. the end of the uh, that's the end of the volume. So See, and that's ooh, mm. we're running a little long here. Mm-hmm. It's all right. It so is what it is. Give us some. Give Ad- us some. Adrian Palicki's fault. Yeah, curse her, yeah. sexy Closure. little tush. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. All right, Captain America is now Captain America again, and of course he's going to save the day from the evil Red Skull. And even the Falcon isn't going to be as evil as the Falcon seems to have been evil. And yay, America! The end. If yeah. Um, do you like this, Rodrigo? Um, it, it's funny. It's one of those things where in older comics, you know, some something like Days of Future Past, mm-hmm. where I'm like, I, I thought this would be longer. I thought Nomad would be around for a longer period of time. I thought this yeah. was going to be a thing. And it's wrapped up in two issues, like from from inception to uh some other movie or, or from the first time we see Nom- nomad <laughs> to the last time we see nomad um, it's like four issues it's like it's four issues like yeah. yeah um and that's it I, you know later on he'll come back and somebody else will be called nomad or whatever right. but it's so quick i mean it's like it's actually kind of reminiscent of um the identity crisis for Spider-Man, not right, not the DC one, um, except that one spawned over you know fifteen books. That one was quick because Spider-Man had seventeen books at the time. Right, right, right. But it's kind of that thing where it's like, and in the end, the point of this was, let's return to this is this is what we could have if we didn't do the status quo, and it's clearly inferior. So <laughs> back to quo. America. Do you think? Uh, do you think at the time, Matthew, considering we were young little tykes of five and six years old? Um, do you think that uh, reaction I, among I comic fans back in the original issues <laughs> <laughs> actually in the original issues we weren't alive at that time um, do you think the comic fan reaction to this was as venomous as what people see today when it's like we're putting Superman in a new costume no how dare you do this you think people were going nuts over this uh, Captain America as Nomad, or Steve Rogers as I, Nomad? I don't for a couple of reasons. This was relatively early in the history of Marvel, and part of, well, especially these days, part of what we hear whenever we hear a complaint is, I've seen this all before. Oh, they're doing it again, and they're ruining everything, and we've seen this all before. At this point in time, 
this was a relatively new shtick. This is probably, I mean, to some degree, this is the, the, you know, the er origin of the, I'm giving up my power. Sure. Spider-Man gave up his costume in Spider-Man yeah, number 50 did, several years earlier. But was it, yeah, that was how many years earlier? Do you remember? Oh, four or five. But okay. he was back in costume by like the end of the issue. This oh, was okay. something that actually. It didn't stick for long because the name of the book was Captain America and the Falcon, but it stuck long enough. And I think that at that point in time, first of all, most of the feedback that we would have seen would have been in the letters pages. And I've looked mm -hmm. at the letters pages after the Nomad Saga, and of course, there's the occasional complaint, and then, sorry you didn't like it, Bobby. Make mine Marvel. There wasn't... I'm sure there was the same kind of irritation, but there wasn't really any place to voice it. And there wasn't yeah. the same level of, I don't want to say entitlement amongst the fans because that's the wrong thing, but there wasn't that same level of feeling like these characters belong to us. Mm, you know, yeah. the, the Marvel universe was a different place and things, weird things happened in the Marvel universe. And this is an example of something that would have never happened in any other superhero reality so i it, it was the first half of this book was ridiculously successful for me yeah if if this ended in like 182 i would be totally happy with this even if you know 182 i think is the first robin's issue where it where it loses me is the the retcon of the falcon and thankfully mm -hmm. i don't know that they've abandoned it but they've definitely walked away from it because the way it's written is really, really racist. I mean, it's it's flat out racist. It's the Red Skull is like, I have taken this inferior specimen and done this to him. And yeah, but that's what a Nazi story, would think. Yeah, but the but the that book backs him up. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the, the yeah. reality backs, backs him up, him up on yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, that's true too. The book actually seems to be supporting the Red Skull's assumption that this poor guy is or was inferior, and. That lost me. And, you know, taking that change from Sal Buscema to Frank Robbins, to put it in today's standards, it would be like you're, you're going along, you're cooking, you're jiving, your book is drawn by Phil Jimenez. You know how Phil Jimenez draws? Imagine a Phil Jimenez book. And it's awesome, and it's Phil Jimenez-y, and do-de-do-de-do-de-do-de-do. The next issue comes out, and it's Howard Shaken. <laughs> so everything goes from being smooth, silky, round Phil Jimenez lines to my head is a milk jug yeah <laughs> and so I, rodrigo, I don't even think i inked this page <laughs> <laughs> rodrigo do you recommend this volume it's available on amazon now there's a link right there on the major spoilers website um do you recommend this volume do people buy this volume do they skip it what what should we do with this i, I think only if you really want to 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 complete your your arc of of all the stuff that captain america has gone through should you seek this out um I, honestly this story is interesting and it's cool but it's it's a footnote mm -hmm. um you know hey remember that time when captain america got that weird triangle costume and decided not to be captain america well yeah that was awesome anyway back to captain america mm -hmm. um and that's just kind of how it came across to me. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens in between, a lot of interesting stuff that happens in between, but unless you're into comics from the 70s and want to figure out what exactly it is that Captain America has been up to through all iterations of him, I would say skip it. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I say that 
Uh, there's some interesting story, and for a 70s story, I was very impressed with it. Even though there is a lot of cheese all over the place, I think a lot of the cheese was handled very well. I do like uh, I do like how everything is plotted out, and I think it makes sense. I like uh, the the Sal Bushima art. Um, can't stand the Robbins art, which Bushima. I. For the because same, he's trying to say Buscemi. Yes, uh, because Steve Buscemi. Uh, I love his art. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you get to the Frank Robbins stuff, I just can't stand it. And ultimately, I would say, unless again, you're, unless you're a diehard Captain America fan, probably can skip this, this story. But it's good. I mean, it's good, but it's not something that I would rush out and buy. Matthew? There are four people for whom this book is an absolute must-read. Captain America fans, especially the completists, Steve Englehart fans, people who love their exclamation points, people who are, like me, fans of weird, weird crap, like the time that Spider-Man had six arms, or the time that, you know, John Jameson was Man-Wolf on Counter-Earth, or the time that Warlock spent in the alternate Reed Richards was actually the thing. If you're interested in those weird little niches of continuity, this is definitely a good read. And fourth, I think the people to whom this is really, really something that they want to read are complete freaks who love the Red Skull. But even to me, with my historical perspective, Rodrigo nailed it. This is a pretty minor point. It's well done. And it comes, coming where it does in Captain America history, on the heels of a really epic chunk of storytelling in the Secret Empire saga, my advice would be, if you're going to read this, read, and I'm pretty sure it's collected, the Secret Empire saga that leads right up to this, and then read this with a grain of salt, knowing that it ends badly. Because this is 66% of an awesome story, and then that last 33 and a third just kind of falls apart you know, and then of course, right after this book ends, Jack Kirby comes back to Marvel and they hand him Captain America and Englehart. I think it's really mad. So you got that mm. going for you, which is nice. All right, everybody. There you go. Thank you so much. And thank you for commenting on this show and many of the other ones over at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there and uh, we're going to be back next week. Next week, we're going back to the Legion of Superheroes and we're taking a look at the Great Darkness Saga. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. 
What I made you spoiler What I made you spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What I made you spoiler What I made you spoiler Bob Stark Raven rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Shot up in a fine be in the middle east with a king santo and soldier what a major spoiler what a major spoiler yeah 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 what a major spoiler whoa 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 what a major spoiler this has been a major spoilers podcast copyright 2011 goodbye See you on the next show.